Hello and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2021 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network, and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy. You can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter, and joining me as he will be every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Another week closer to the NFL draft, so I'm getting excited about that. Um, Also, another week of free agency. Yep. And it wasn't a big free agency week for the Panthers. Um, We did make a a few signings. One that I found interesting was that we signed a kicker, Matt Amendola, um, who would come in and you would presume he would compete with Joey Sly for the the kicker competition. And the cool thing about the, um, the kicker signing for me was a few weeks ago on Twitter, I tweeted that I didn't think the Panthers would be serious until we actually signed a kicker. And I wasn't thinking about a kicker like Matt Amendola, but I was thinking of signing a kicker who would actually make clutch kicks and do things that even though Joey Sly has made some kicks across the, 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 the two years he's been here, I haven't seen him be clutch yet. And so I was like, you know, when we go out and get a serious kicker, then I think that the, the Panthers are actually serious about winning. So I don't know if Matt Amendola can be that, but I thought it was interesting that they did go out and, and sign a guy, you know, to compete. So let's see, you know, who who's the best man between the two. Yeah, I, I do think that's a it's an interesting signing. I mean, I I think the thing with Joey Sly is that so we've actually got a, a piece coming out of the right report after the draft, probably. So it, it we want to watch out for it a while, but it's a piece looking at sort of like um sort of some of the data behind kicking and sort of looking at how how kickers actually compare when you try and adjust for like kick distance and that kind of stuff. And, and one of the big takeaways from it is that Joey Sly is just a spectacularly average NFL kicker. Like he is, he is pretty much as close to average as you can be. Um, and, and part of that is because he's, he's been really, really effective under 50 yards for his career and has been really quite poor over 50 yards. And some of that is usage because a lot of his attempts over 50 yards have been a lot over 50 yards. He kind of actually yeah. hasn't, he hasn't had that many chances between like 50 and 55 yards to prove that he can make those kind of kicks. He's just had a lot from like 65 yards or 63 yards and that kind of stuff. Um, So I don't think Joey's line is a weakness, um, but yeah, he's certainly not a strength either. And um, the the one thing is that if you look at Matt Amdola's stats from college, um, he wasn't great beyond 50 either. Like, you know, he just didn't attempt that many for a start. Um, So I would not be surprised if the Panthers also signed a UDFA kicker as well. Like, I, yeah. I, I don't think this is, well, that's the kicking competition sorted. I, I think it, it's uh, it's still an ongoing thing. And I, I, I would, I think Joey Sly should still be the favourite because I think actually it's better to have an average NFL kicker than a, you know, a, just just stick a UDF out, UDFA out yeah. there for the sake of it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, finding kickers is really hard. Evaluating kickers is really hard. Um it's because so much of it is psychological, not just physical. Like, you know, ultimately, a fair number of people could go out there and make a 30-yard field goal. Right. The number of them who could do it in a game wearing pads with large people running at you, trying to hit you, probably smaller. So it, it, it's, 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 it's as much about the, like, the psychology of being able to do it in the moment as it is about like, physically being able to kick the ball over the posts. Yeah, and the, and the thing with Joyce Sly, you know, I know I got a lot of flack when... I made that statement about us needing a kicker and 
and you know, folks like, you know, but Joey Sly's your guy. I'm like, well, Joey Sly is a guy, you know, and, and I do like him. You know, I, I like the fact that, you know, he, he's a guy with a big leg. And and I think that's why, we, you know, a lot of us are disappointed. You know, people who actually pay attention to the kicking game is, is because you know that he probably can make it from, you know, 65, you know, with ease in terms of leg power, you know, but he hasn't done it where the game was on the line yet. You know, I, I go back to the 2019 season when we could have essentially, I don't know if we could have tied or won the game in New Orleans, and it was a chip shot. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he missed it, you know, and that was the first time where I was like, oh, you know, can this guy really end the game? And there was a, a moment this year, you know, where he shouldn't have been in the situation maybe, but where I think it was against Minnesota, where we actually marched down the field and had an opportunity, you know, to win that game. And I think it, I think that was a fifty-four yard, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that, that was that was certainly the, of the of the long field goals he was asked to make to win the game. I think the Minnesota one was the most makeable. Like the, the one was he was the asked to make against Kansas City was just you know if he'd have made yeah. that, yeah, he would have you know walked off in a crumb of glory kind of thing. Yeah, that would that would have been bananas, you know, the Kansas City one. But you know, but he has the leg for something like that. But the Minnesota game was the one where I was like, okay, this is you know indoors. There's no win factor. You know, there were no fans. Is 54 yards, you know, your, your QB who was, you know, basically berated all season for not being able to to drive down the field and in the game, you know, he actually made two or three great passes to get down the field and get within field goal range. And although they probably shouldn't have been in that situation anyway, I felt like that was a game that really could have salvaged, you know, the reputation for both the kicker and the quarterback. Yeah. And it, it turned out being a, unfortunately, a missed opportunity. But it was at that point where I felt like, okay, Joy Sly's days may be up, you know, as the kicker for the Carolina Panthers. Oh, yeah, no, no. I, 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 I certainly, yeah, it's one of the things where, like, if you, if, if you look at his contract and, like, the, like as, as long as he is being paid not very much but also not guaranteed very much, he will always have a chance to start because, you, you know, he's not some massive expenditure. He's not going to be a big hit against your cap. They kind of, you know, He's earning pretty much the bet minimum, but also in any training camp, if there's someone who's better, he isn't. You know, he has no real security because of, he has yeah. no guarantees in his contract. So, yeah. like every year, it's just going to be and, and, and until he either proves that he is an above average kicker or someone comes in who kicks him out. Basically, he's going to go into camp as someone having to compete for their job, and that's not necessarily a problem. Like that, you know, that's that's the case for a lot of guys in the NFL. Out, you know, if. if yeah, there are probably 30 people you can guarantee will make the Panthers roster next year, but a lot of people will be competing for those 53. And Joey right. Sly is, is until he proves it one way or the other, he is going to be one of the people competing for a 53. And I, and I think that's where he deserves to be at this point based on performance. You know, I think if you are just average in the NFL, I think you have to know that your job is on the line you know, yeah. every year. And sometimes, you know, every week within the year. Um, if you just average, because, you know, that's leaving too much opportunity for somebody to come in and be better. And that goes for every position and even the quarterback, you know, position you know, on the NFL team. So um, so we do have at least one kicker, you know, to compete with Joey Sly. My moniker on Twitter, my little hashtag is ball don't Sly, you know, so, you know, we're going to see, you know, where Joey Sly ends up, you know, heading to the 2021 season, you know, good luck to both men. And like you said, maybe even another guy, you know, and as an undrafted free agent, you know, going into the year. So we'll see what happens at the kicker position. 
Um, we also were able to re-sign John Miller, which I thought low-key was one of the better moves um, in free agency this offseason because it brings back a guy who I believe was really solid, um, who wasn't great, you know, but he's been in this offense. He knows what this offense requires of the position. Um, and and he gets to come back and do it another year. And, you know, the, the contract that brought him back in, you know, wasn't, you know, a gaudy deal. You know, it, it was a, a deal to get him back in and compete for that right guard position again. So I'm eager and, to see him yeah, back. I, I think I, I think also crucially, it's got so little guaranteed this deal that it's not just competing for a right guard spot. It's it's competing for a 53 spot as well. Like, yeah. I, th- I think one of the issues the Panthers had is that because they had so many players up in the air on the offensive line, you, ha- you have to balance bringing in players so that you don't have to draft people and also not bringing in so many players that you then don't have space for rookies to come in. Right. Whereas I think signing John Miller to this deal means that if the Panthers draft one offensive linesman, then John Miller definitely makes the 53 and competes for right guard. If the Panthers draft two offensive linesmen, he probably competes for the 53. And if they draft three offensive linesmen, he probably gets cut. Um, unless someone gets hurt, but but he gives you some insurance in training camp. I mean, it's it, it, it's a it's a great deal for the Panthers because you get a passable starting guard for not very much money and the ability to move on from them if you have better options. So it's kind of it's perfect for the Panthers. I think I think what they couldn't afford to do is give him a deal that made him uncuttable this year because you just don't you don't want to have a position where you're you're having to cut you know other players because financially you can't afford to cut him. Right, and you know and. and- I'm thinking about John Miller and the fact that he plays right guard. Let's say, you know, he he does have some continuity coming from last season. He's going to know what they're expecting at that position. Again, I think he's a solid right guard option. If he's able to come back in the second year of this offense, earn his role as a right guard, you know, then you have Taylor Moten at right tackle. You have John Miller at right guard. You have Matt Paradis at center. And then the competition becomes, you know, for left guard and left tackle. And, you know, we have signed uh, Pat Elfline, and then we've also signed Cam Irving. So I'm not saying that Cam Irving should be the left tackle. I'm not saying that Pat Elfline should be the left guard. But you reasonably have a look at what could be your starting offensive line if they don't draft. Um, a, a player better at either the left tackle or the left guard position or, you know, Dennis Daly or Greg Little don't, you know, show up and and, and take over those roles um, across the offensive line. But, you know, we, we could have a a full starters, you know, set, you know, offensive linemen. And you know, the, the cool thing about those five guys, they're not great. I'm not trying to hype them up as, you know, the starting lineup for sure for the Carolina Panthers. But each one of those guys have started um, a considerable amount of time in the NFL. Uh, Cam Irving has had experience across the offensive line. Um, most recently, most recently left tackle, I think. Yeah. Um, and he and he claims that he really likes that position. So let's see if he puts in the work to to maintain that position. I know Pat Elfline, you know, is a nasty guy. Like I heard that quoted this week about his attitude towards the um, the game, and hopefully, you know that nastiness would earn him, you know, a shot on the offensive line. And so if, if John Miller can can earn his right guard spot, Matt Paradis is pretty much entrenched, at least for this year as a center, Taylor Moe in that right tackle. I think we could have a glimpse of what the offensive line could look like. A, like everybody else, I'm hoping that we can improve through the draft um, at tackle, even at guard. Yeah, but- I- I, I, I think the thing is is that there are I think the thing is that Panthers do have some players who have some potential. It, it's 
I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, if you get a chance to draft like a, a an elite offensive lineman, an offensive tackle, you probably take it. Yeah. But I, I think I would not be surprised if the Panthers went into the season with like a Cam Irving versus Greg Little competition at left tackle. Yeah. Because although Greg Little definitely needs to improve, he has shown the talent to be a good left tackle. Yeah. Um, like it's not like he, he looks like he doesn't belong in the NFL. Like it, it, you know, whereas when Trent Scott um, played left tackle, it looked like a guy who was doing his best, but ultimately probably does not have the talent to play there in the NFL. Right. When Greg Little looked like he, when he's playing left tackle, it was like a guy who has the talent but needs to sort of improve his discipline, his technique. Yeah. And so I think the thing is, is that while obviously you can keep telling yourself, oh, maybe this is the year he works out, maybe this year where he worked it out. I think the the payoff if he works out at left tackle is such that it's worth giving him. I think probably this is this this is, for him and Dennis Daly. This is the last year for them to win a starting job. Really, um, I think if they don't, if neither of them win a starting job this year, they're either backups or they're cut. Basically, um, you know the interesting thing about the Grant Little situation in Carolina. You know we've been hard on him. You know his the first two years have been limited by injury. Um, last year, you know, it wasn't so much his injury as, you know, seemingly the coaching staff not being comfortable with him being the left tackle for some of those games. But, you know, we had Russell Okun, who was a veteran starter. You know, so you could expect him to start over Greg Little. But, you know, the opportunities where Russell Okun wasn't on the field, but Greg Little was healthy, you know, were the telling ones because they elected to go with Trent Scott over him. I mean, see, in a see, lot of cases. yeah, I, I mean, I, I can sort of understand the. So I kind of have mixed opinions on this. I think that Greg Little had a couple of really poor series against Atlanta, the second time against Atlanta. Um, he just made, you know, he made a mental error. Like he looked like he got his assignment wrong. And there was one where he just, just technically did completely the wrong thing. Um, yeah. And that, that's basically when they pulled him and he didn't really get a chance to play after that. Um, but he also had some really good games. Like his game against the Cardinals... Like he had one really poor pass protection snap early in the game where he overset and allowed um, Chandler Jones inside leverage. And then after that, he was, he was pretty good. You know, yeah. I think, it, I think the saints game was when he played and he was, he was pretty good in that as well. Yeah. Um, like he, he, there are a couple of games he put together. Where you thought like, he looks like an NFL left tackle, maybe not an all pro one, but he looks like an NFL left tackle. Um, right. And I, I think that, I mean, I, I do also think he's been a little bit, I mean, he's had a couple of injuries. I mean, I just be completely honest, I really like Greg Little coming out as a prospect. Like, I, yeah. I, he, he has an immense amount of talent if he can put it together. Um, but I, 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 I do think he got messed over a little bit by the Panthers, not this past season, but the, the last season under Rivera, I think. And I, I, I think um, Pat Meyer is, is the perfect OL coach for him as well. Like I do, I, I, I think the thing with Greg Little is that, so, I mean, this is kind of a, a hopefully don't go on too long of a tangent here, but like, if you look at guys, like the two top offensive tackles from the last draft, the, um, so you had um, Jedrick Wills and Tristan Wirfs. Like yeah. Jedrick Wills technically is just like the prototypical tackle. Like his technique is just textbook. You know, I, he might not be quite as talented as, 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 as Wirfs, but he's just technically excellent. Right. Whereas Wirfs, isn't that he has technical flaws, but that he plays in a particular way. He doesn't have a, like a kick slide. He's got this very even stance, and he basically just backs his talent to overcome the offensive, like the defensive player's talent. Like he, he he sets really evenly, which makes it very hard to come back inside of him. He trusts his foot speed to counter laterally and his strength to counter power. 
And yes. like that, that is what Greg Little can be. Like Greg Little is a player who you're like in, in his first in his rookie season, it seemed like the Panthers tried to teach him to be like this textbook tackle rather yeah. than accepting what he did well. And if you go and look him up, look, look at his tape at Ole Miss and you look at um, Tristan Wirfs from, from Iowa, they're not that dissimilar. Like the, the stance is the same. They have this very vertical set, this very open stance, not like a kick slide at all. It's like very open hip stance. And I think Pat Meyer has done a better job of embracing who he is rather than what you would like, what a textbook tackle is. Whereas I think John Matsko just tried to completely remake his whole stance and, I don't think that helps. Like you, know, it's, it's, it's funny, you know. People don't give that, give those changes, and you know, people getting coached out of what they're really good at, you know, enough um, attention. You know, when it comes to pro athletes or any kind of athlete at any level, you know, when you change what a guy does really well naturally, or try to change that, there's a mental um, struggle that comes with that because you know, what they do naturally is what has made them good up to that yeah. point. And, you know, so you change all those things technically, you know, it's going to make them have to think about what they're doing. And, and, and now they're out there, you know, thinking about what they're doing versus just playing. Um, and, and, and you'll see a lot of young guys struggle with stuff like that. So I hope what you're saying about Pat Meyer, you know, is, is, is going to be something that carries forward for him and where he can actually get comfortable being who he is. Um, you know, I think between the two, you know, that you compare, you know, between Greg Little and, and Worse, I think Worse was always the better athlete between the two. Um, you know, because when you were describing him, the, the one thing that I know that, that I've seen from him this year is that he understands his athleticism and he's very confident in it. Yeah, I think that's um, where Greg Little does struggle. I, I, yeah. I, yeah, I think he, I think the big, like the big thing for him is try. Like I remember when he they drafted him and Marty said that he doesn't that that, that Greg Little doesn't realize how good he can be and sometimes right. he plays like that like yes. he like one of his biggest issues has been oversetting which is yeah. basically where he thinks the guy is going to beat him for speed but yet he yeah. almost never gets beaten for speed he gets beaten because he sets like the guy's going to speed rush like he sets he sets to every defensive end like they're Brian Burns yes like like he, he it's like he he plays like he's playing Brian Burns every snap when actually like there are like two or three guys in the NFL who you have to set like that for when you've got his kind of foot speed. And actually sometimes you just need to back yourself and just say, right, if you want to speed rush me, try and speed rush me. Just, you know, try, try you try and work around the edge and actually just take, take away that inside rush and make them try and beat you for speed. And, and, which is what Tristan Wirth does really, really well. Like he never overcommits outside. He always, he, you know, he would rather allow someone to get slightly outside of him and then have to work all the way back around to the quarterback than overset and let the guy get inside. And, that, that's yeah, and, let, think, and that's what you absolutely want to see for someone with that kind of very open stance is you want to see them trusting that, that speed and making the, the edge go round, round the outside every single time. Yeah, and I think because of who Greg Little was drafted with, <laughs> uh, being Brian Burns, and then he came on a team that also had uh, Mario Addison, it had Marquise Haynes. You know, you had these speed guys who we yeah. practice against every day to where I think, you know, while trying to learn a different technique under the former offensive line coach, um, you know, and, and then facing these speed rushes, oh, Bruce Irving even. Yeah. You know, now he's, now, he's, now he's facing these guys who all run a 4-5, a 4-5, um, four, four, you know, outside linebacker types, you know, against a 3-4 offensive lineman standing up. I think he was doing that because of who he was facing. And like yeah, you said, no, it became I think his, that's yeah, it became his go-to thing. 
And then when guys, you know, knew that, you know, he, he always does that. Now they can beat him to the inside. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, I saw him do something last year and we're going to get off of him because you know, we have to have an episode about offensive linemen later on. But I think he threw like a punch. And I remember somebody coming, you know, on Twitter, you know, one of the analysts coming out of the film analyst saying, you know, when you see a guy punching like that, that's always a bad sign. And I don't know if it's always a bad sign, but Greg Little deployed that tactic, you know, and it showed, you know, for that particular analyst, it was a mm-hmm. sign of weakness at playing left tackle, you know, the fake punch, um, you know, and, and and it made me wonder, like, you know, where his confidence is, you know, as a, as a left tackle. I want him to, to be the guy. The, the, the best thing about Greg Little um, is that when you compare him against the people that were drafted ahead of him in the 2019 um, draft, I don't think any of those guys have, has really panned out to be a left tackle yet. No. Um, Jonah Williams, um, the, the it, fellow from, from Washington. Uh, um, oh, uh, yeah, he, was, he was really bad. Um, yeah. you, you know, I'm sorry, I forget his name. Yeah, off, off, oh, off, he went to the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, do you mean Andre Dillard? Yeah, no, no. Oh, no. Andre, Andre Dillard that was Washington State. He was Washington he, State. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he, but, I mean he, he, been, he, he was good, actually, but I think he got hurt. No, him, for, for me, Dillard and Greg Little were the top two tackles coming out that year. And yeah. it was like, Dillard is the safe guy, and Little is the guy that, if he works it out, can be an all-pro. Um, yeah. And I think he his time to work it out is running out. Like he is still, yeah. it is worth pointing out, he's still really young. He's like 22, 23. So he, he, he was, he was a very young rookie um, as well, yeah. which does help. But like, I remember like Dave, we really need to get off this tangent, but like Dave, oh, yeah, Dave, yeah. I remember Dave Gettleman saying um, that, that like, really you need to give guys three years to work it out. And I think for Greg Little, this is that kind of, this is the work it out or we're not going to trust you're going to work it out type of thing. And maybe, you know, I think a big thing with having an O-line coach who, who, who trusts that it is possible for him to get there, who, who, you know, who doesn't make it easy for him, doesn't make excuses for him, but who goes like, you actually have the talent to do this. You just need to actually work on these things. And it, it's, it, yeah, he, he needs to build up his confidence. But I, whereas there, there are guys who they've put a left tackle in the past, you're like, you just ultimately don't have the talent to do this. Right. I think Greg Little has the talent to do this. And this is probably his year to show that he has the, the ability to, to, to develop, to do it. But, but yeah, I, I, I think the focus for the draft is going to be on players who have, I don't think there are going to be a real focus on drafting out and out left tackles unless Penny Silver is there. Like I, yeah. I, I think there's going to be more of a focus on, particularly with the uncertainty with Moton guys who can maybe play tackle or guard would be a, someone like, 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 you know, we'll talk about them later, but like Rashawn Slater would be someone like that, even though he can definitely play tackle at the NFL level. You, you, it's not like if he doesn't start a left tackle, he's useless kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. There are two type of guys, you know, guys who only can play, you know, like that position. Who I think, you know, that's that's category where Greg Little is. Yeah, great. Yeah, into guard, or you can get like a Slater who can play either, and probably on both sides of the line. So absolutely. But yeah, we're gonna get off this. But now we're gonna come back to it, you know, for that future episode. Um, and but you know, for Greg Little, um, good luck to to him, and hopefully he can earn his role. I, I do think he still has a lot of potential, so we'll see how he competes in camp, you know. But even if he doesn't, you know, make the you know the starting position, um, I think Cam Irving, you know, could be the guy. He, he gives you some. Way, he gives he gives you some insurance. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's some insurance. So, but you know, the the last guy of note that we signed um, this week, you know, was Frankie Louvu, um, outside linebacker type you know, edge guy, you know, from the New York Jets. 
Um, they allowed him to, to pursue free agency and we pounced on him. You know, I, I don't know much about Lou, but I think he had two sacks that he was a, um, a rotational guy last year. Yeah. And he definitely comes with a lot of that that energy. Um, I, I saw some some film of him, you know, doing the the tribal type Polynesian, um, you know, dance. I don't know what you call it. I don't want to like a hacker type it. thing. Yeah, you know, but it was it was it was cool to see. So we'll see if if he can get you know the Panthers, you know, hype with that this year at least at some point, you know. And um, but but I'm assuming he'll come in and and be you know, a, a, you know, some, some camp competition, you know, at the outside linebacker position. Um, I think he's more of a, of a three, four outside linebacker, uh, maybe an edge and a four, three, you know, but, you know, we'll see how he develops. Um, you think he's, he's that type of guy, you know, maybe special uh, yeah. teams? Yeah, I, th- I think he's a special teamer. Um, like he might, he might see some snaps on defense, but I think he's more of a replacement for like Hadarius Taylor or, or Julian Stanford than he's anything else. Okay. Like they'd be a, they, they need some depth at linebacker because right, like before they signed him, it was basically um, Shaq Thompson, Jermaine Carter, and and, and Perryman. So yeah. he gi- he gives them another veteran. They could maybe draft a guy in day three, or a UDFA comes into as well. But they, they needed some some special teams bodies and some depth. Really. So I think I think he's that. Okay, um, and then the biggest news of this week wasn't about who we signed at all, but it is something that's going to have a major impact on the draft. And actually, when this thing happened. When this event happened, I saw Panthers Twitter just have a meltdown. And and that was the the trade between the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins. If I can remember correctly, I believe San Francisco sent their 12th overall pick and then their third round pick. Third round pick next first, year. Yeah, from is it from next year? Yeah. Yeah. And then the was it first round? picks from 2022 23 and 24 something like that no it, it, it's it's 22 and 23 so it's it's it 22 over, and 23 it, it's 12th overall pick this year one and three next year and one the year after that so okay. three three firsts and a third for the sixth overall pick three firsts and a third um for the third overall pick and again panthers nation panthers twitter just seemingly had a collective meltdown because of that trade because they seemingly were all in on the Panthers trading up to the number three position um, and seemingly lost all hope for the quarterback, the future quarterback, um, by that trade occurring. Um, what do you think um, about that trade, Vincent? Like, how do you how, how did you react when you saw it? I mean, I... I think there are a couple of things. I think just from a like NFL wide perspective, it's notable that the 49ers are so confident on three quarterbacks that they will they are made they, the surprise is not that the 49ers made that trade, it's that they made that trade now with a month to go before the draft. Like that, yeah. that 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 I think is interesting. Um right. I think what it means to the Panthers is it I think it basically guarantees you get three quarterbacks off the board in the first three picks. Um yeah. you don't trade that much for anything other than a quarterback, really. Um right. Who it is, I don't know. Um, I can, I, my my guess would be Trey Lance, but I, you know, I wouldn't be. I know, no, no people. I, I think it probably isn't Justin Fields. I think if it, it, it might be Mac Jones, I don't. I, I think it's more likely to be Trey Lance than, than anything else. But but who knows? Um, but I think for the Panthers, it it does a couple of things. It one means that it's going to be very unlikely that that you get no quarterbacks taken between picks four and pick seven. I think, I, th- I think it really means that, that 
Denver to Atlanta trade looks quite likely. Um, but but I think, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's going to make it really hard to get one of the quarterbacks. And I think the other thing worth noting is that although there are like five quarterbacks being talked about as like top 15 picks, the Panthers probably don't view all five as top 15 picks. Like the Panthers right. probably have, my guess would be two guys they guess as top five picks, yeah. maybe another guy they view as a top 10 pick, and then maybe a couple of guys they don't view as, as like anything other than like late first round picks. Yeah, And, and so... The issue is, is that it just matters what other teams think and how your how your priorities match up with someone else. Like if the Panthers really, really like Justin Fields, there is a chance Justin Fields is there at eight. Yeah. I don't think it's a high chance, but I think there is a chance. It's outside chance, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if the Panthers don't, if Justin Fields is the guy they don't particularly rate out of those five, certainly out of the top four guys, then then you know you can't really do much about that. Like if if, if the Panthers board is like. Um, Lawrence and Wilson really like right at the top, a bit of a gap, Lance, bit of a gap, Fields, bit of a gap, Mac Jones. Right. I, if you if 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 the top three guys are Lawrence, Wilson, and and, and Lance, then you're kind of you you know, you've lost your three top quarterbacks, and you're then looking at like taking your third quarterback eighth overall and taking your fifth quarterback eighth overall are probably quite different things for the Panthers. So yeah. even if one of those five guys is there at eight the odds of it being the guy they want have decreased significantly, I would say. Um, yeah. I, I, the other thing it does is it takes away a potential moving up spot. Like, yeah. you know, if, if, if I, I personally don't think the Panthers can afford to be that aggressive. Like, you know, the, the Panthers can't afford to go up three firsts and a third for a, for a chance at a rookie quarterback. Yeah, like that, that's, that's, yeah. that's a, I mean, the fourth Niners can do it because they basically have no other needs and want to compete right now. Like they, they yes. can justify that. Yes. And also they have the argument that they're probably not going to be picking this high for a very long time. Yes. Whereas sensibly, even if the Panthers draft like a left tackle and a cornerback with the first couple of picks and they draft quite well and all that stuff, they'll probably still be picking in the late teens, maybe early 20s. Yeah, so, sure, so, yeah. yeah, so whereas, whereas the 49ers could be picking 28, 29, 30 next year. Um, yeah. So it kind of... It makes sense. I mean, that, that's also the argument about the, the Patriots is that they potentially have more of a reason to trade up than the Panthers do because, again, this is going to be their best chance for a while. Um, but, yeah, for the, for the Panthers, I, I don't think... I think it, it makes it it makes it very clear that it's going to be quite hard to get a quarterback at eight and that probably the Panthers can't afford to make these kind of moves. Like, if, if, the, Bron- if, the, if the Broncos offer two firsts and a second or for the, for the fourth pick with Atlanta, the Panthers can't afford to match that. No, and then the other element of it is Atlanta being a divisional foe wouldn't want to give the Panthers a chance to get that much better um, by giving them the opportunity to go get the quarterback of the future. You know, just handing them the opportunity. I know they'll get yeah. something in exchange for it, but I, I can't see a divisional foe doing a, a deal like that. And so I, uh, I think if you think they're overpaying, you take it. Because if you think they're yeah. going to damage themselves by if, if they offer you four foot first, you think ultimately you're you're good that's going to make you worse long term. So yes, yeah. we'll take that. Thank you very much. But yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're, they're certainly going to want to push the price up if it's the Panthers. Yeah, just just because they they have to do it only at a point where you said it they feel like the deal is going to damage us more than help us. Yeah. Even the quarterback that's there at four wouldn't be able to overcome all of the ways that we set ourselves back, you know, by, you know, by drafting away yeah. our picks to them. And I would hate, honestly, as a fan of the Panthers to watch the Atlanta Falcons use our picks for the next two or three years. Like that yeah, would just yeah. drive me crazy. Um, but 
you know, it is what it is. I'm glad you brought up the point about the 49ers and, and the Patriots even. And if you look at it, really the Broncos, but, you know, more so the, the 49ers and the Patriots, they already have rosters that are ready to win. The 49ers was just in the, the Super Bowl over, just a little bit over a year ago. And so they have a lot of those guys coming back. You know, they've done a really good job in free agency. They've, they've maintained the positions that matter. And they know that the only perceivable weakness on their roster is the mediocre play of their quarterback, who is not a, a bad quarterback, you know, but they think if they can elevate that position, um, plus, you know, the fact that his contract is very team friendly, you know, it's a lot of um, a lot of space for them to either cut him or move from him after this year. They can lock themselves in with a really talented young roster and a quarterback of the future on the on the rookie deal uh, for the next five yeah. seasons. And so I think, you know, it's just perfect storm for a team that's been really good, you know, in, 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 in the draft and in free agency over the last two or three seasons. And you're seeing the fruit of that. Um, and so, so, you know, kudos to them. Unfortunately, it wasn't us Panthers fans, uh, but I don't think the world is ending because we couldn't make that move this year. I think, you know, we need to get ourselves in the frame of mind where, we want to compete. I want to win every game. I mean, obviously, almost to a fault. You know, the winning culture thing has been <laughs> the joke on Twitter. And I am I think I'm part of that. You know, I, I like winning. I like winning up. Um, and But I think you have to to weigh, weigh the cost of trying to win right now. And our roster, as much as we want to compete, it just isn't at a point where we can win no. right now, even if we trade up for a guy or go out and trade for a guy like Deshaun Watson. I don't think anybody – is going to make us instant contenders for a Super Bowl in 2021. Yeah. And so it's not the worst thing that could have happened. It sucks because it decreased our chances of getting that guy. And for Panthers fans, um, I, I heard a little bit for you because I saw the pain in your tweets. But um, nevertheless, you know, there's chances to get better and we will get better. And so now that the chances of drafting a quarterback has decreased somewhat, um, I think the position that we're going to talk about today, you know, the chances of drafting that position increases and that position is the cornerback position. Yeah. And fortunately for the Carolina Panthers and a lot of NFL teams, there are a lot of good cornerbacks in this draft and, um, and, and, and really a few first rounders when you think about it. So that's the purpose of this episode. I know we've talked a lot about free agency. We talked a lot about, um, you know, the things that, you know, that lead up to the, to the draft, you know, in terms of the, the roster and everything with the offensive linemen. But today's episode is really focused on cornerbacks. Yeah. So we're here now. Vincent, who are your best cornerbacks, man? Who are your best cornerbacks in this draft? Yeah. So just, just to sort of preface that a little bit, like in terms of like what the Panthers are doing at cornerback, like I think it's fairly obvious they need, they, they're looking for a partner for, for Dante Jackson. So like they talked a lot about wanting cornerbacks before free agency. They didn't really get one. So I, I think this is, I would be very surprised if the Panthers didn't draft a cornerback in the first three rounds, I think. Um, yeah. Partly because of the need and partly because of the strength of the class. So I think this is very much a position to watch for the Panthers, uh, particularly early on, but they've got reasonable depth. They just need a, a starter. Um, yeah. So for me, the top three guys are Patrick Sertain, JC Horn, and Tyson Campbell. Um, I think 
Sertain is the best of those for me. I think he also is, is a very good fit with what the Panthers seem to want in a corner. He's you know, got really good length, speed, ball skills. He can play man coverage against bigger receivers. He's got good range in zone, you know, pretty good instincts. Um, yeah, I, I think he's he's not perfect. Like I think he would struggle again in, in man coverage against sort of smaller, shiftier receivers a little bit. Um, but like I think the best comp I could say for him is like James Bradby with better ball skills. And while that might that's not be like good. and that's that, that's that's pretty good. Like it might not that's be like good. all pro good, but it's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah he, he he's 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 pretty good. Like he, you know, he should he should be a he should be a top 10, 15 pick. And I think if if the Panthers take a, a cornerback at eight, I think it will probably be certain, unless he's off the board already. Like I think he 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 is both for me the best corner and also the best fit with what they look for. JC Horn for me is then a little bit behind him. Um I think he I think he probably has the highest ceiling in man coverage. Like if you're a team that plays a lot of man coverage, like 70, 80, 90% man coverage. I think I could see why you would have him higher than certain. Okay. Um, I think he, his footwork needs a little bit of work. He's a little bit choppy at times, particularly like in off coverage. Um, and I don't think his ball skills are quite as good as certain. Uh, like I, I, you know, he had two picks in college and they were both against Auburn. And while he's got like flashes, quite nice anticipation. I don't think he's, if you're a zone heavy team like the Panthers, I'm not sure you quite he doesn't isn't quite there yet in terms of his his impact in zone. But if you're a, he, he's probably the best man coverage player in the class. Um, and if you are a man heavy team, that probably justifies it. Um, so yeah, I, I think if you if you're a man heavy team, I could understand why you'd have Horn over over Sertain. But for a team like the Panthers that plays a lot of the zone, I think Sertain should be the top guy. Um, okay. Tyson Campbell is then like a bit behind those two. So they're, they're a bit like 1A and 1B, depending on what you like schematically. Um, and then, then Tyson Campbell's a bit behind. Again, doesn't have great ball skills. Isn't, you know, isn't, probably isn't going to produce a ton of interceptions. He's more like an actual James Bradbury in a sense of like, he's very long, can play man, can play zone, um, contests reasonably well, does occasionally lose the ball at the catch point. But, you know, really fluid athlete, good length, all that stuff, just, if you throw the ball to him, there's about 50-50 chance he'll just drop it. Um, yeah. And so, like, I, I think if you're if you're looking for like a really really good number two corner, I think Tyson Campbell is. I, I think he probably makes them. I will talk about it later, but I think he makes a lot of sense to the Panthers if he's there on like day two, particularly yeah. if he's there on day like uh, like later day two, because he's he's probably not going to be like the this is your all pro cornerback. But if you're looking for like a, just a really dependable good corner who maybe doesn't make that many splash plays, and I think I think he's a, a very good fit. And I like all three guys, and I like the way you broke them down. And obviously, when we talked last week offline, I really wanted you to to weigh in between J.C. Horn and Pat Sertain. And I think the way that you broke them out is really fair to both men. I think Pat Sertain is a really good fit, you know, for our zone our zone heavy concepts that we run under Phil Snow. Um, he has great size. I think he can even match up with bigger, fluid tight ends if we ever need him to. I think yeah. he's the prototypical um, number one corner on a team. And like yeah. you said, I think, I think he should go top 10, top 15. And if we draft him at eight, I would be elated. You know, and for the people listening, and I know, you know, I say a lot of things on Twitter. But one thing I've been consistent about wanting for the Panthers for the last two off seasons. Uh, leading up to this offseason was needing to get a cornerback. I could see the writing on the wall 
about the cornerback position, you know, going into the um, the 2019 draft. And Greedy Williams, you know, was the guy. And I, and I don't think he was the best pick, but he was the guy who had a lot of the hype going into 2019. And I would have been really comfortable with drafting him at 16 because I just felt that we were going to be in this position where we we're going to be really needy for cornerback. Um, he didn't pan out all that well for the for the uh, for the Browns yet, you know, he's been injured a lot, but I knew that me was going to be there because I knew we were going into a, a contract year with James Bradbury. So we move on from James Bradbury last year and we enter the draft. And so the guy with all the hype last year was Jeff Okuda. And then you even had CJ Henderson. Yeah. I think, I think, they, I think they, they were pretty close between Henderson and Derek Brown. Like I, I don't, I think they were probably reasonably you know, they, if Derek Brown had, had gone at six, I, I think they would probably have taken the Cuda. They would have taken, uh, yeah. Not Cuda, um, uh, Henderson. 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 Yeah, and so I was, and I was comfortable with that. Like early on in the process, I didn't know so much about Henderson. I had watched him play, you know, but I didn't know he was like as good as he actually was. And so Okuda was the name I was um, caught up with and, and I really wanted just a corner. And I would have wanted a corner over, a defensive tackle, you know, nine times out of 10. I actually thought Derrick Brown was actually a good prospect, and I'm glad that he is a Panther. Uh, but I wanted an elite number one lockdown corner because my philosophy is for any defense to be really elite, I think you have to have at least one elite corner that can basically take away a third of the field or a half. The, they say a half the field. I say more of a third, especially in the kind of defense that we run. Um, you know, where corner quarterbacks think twice before challenging that guy. And at the college level, the only guy I watched this year where quarterbacks from the opposing team was was afraid to challenge him was Sertain. Yeah. And so I would love Sertain. Um, I think he fits us best, you know, but I I, I do like J.C. Horn too. He's one of those guys that I just consider a dog. And I think both of them are really, but I think J.C. Horn is really competitive. I think that's what you want out of your number one corner. And and, and I would be happy with him. Uh, like what Vincent said, you know, he definitely probably is better in a man scheme than he is a zone scheme. Um, but I, I would prefer a guy who is really good at man because I think you can kind of teach that man guy to play zone. I don't know if it's that easy or not, but in, in my mind. I, I, think, I, I think you can, but it's also, there's also a bit about like value there as well. Yeah. Where like if, if you're not going to play much man, his value in man doesn't, doesn't give you that much. Um, right. uh, I, I also think I mean it depends, it, the things we don't really know what the Panthers are going to do defensively because Phil Snow is very adaptable yeah. but if, if you're going to play zone 60-70% of the time then I think like it's not that Sertain is bad in man coverage like he probably is more matchup dependent whereas like I yeah. think JC Horn needs to work on his footwork um, yeah. but but can definitely match up with smaller guys whereas Sertain like if you put Sertain on like a, a smaller shifty receiver he is probably going to struggle um, yeah. But 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 against like the Mike Evans or the Michael Thomas or the Julio Jones, like that that is his kind of matchup. Like he can play that guy in man in the same way that James Bradbury could. And it's, it's, yeah. it's kind of like with James Bradbury. Like James Bradbury is not bad in man coverage. It's just he need, he you know he is he has vulnerabilities matchup wise. You know he's, yeah. he you know really long corner, just big big long corner who is going to struggle to change direction with a with a really shifty guy underneath. So I I I, I think. Yeah, I think if they took J.C. Horn, I think if you trade down to like mid-teens, I think J.C. Horn becomes a real option there. 
I, I, I think if you took him at eight, that would be an indication that the Panthers are changing what they're going to do fairly significantly from a schematic point of view. Now, I, I'm with you there. And for people who need a point of reference to what Vincent is saying, I think the model for a lockdown corner, especially in the zone concept for the last decade has been Richard Sherman, right? Yeah. And for as great as Richard Sherman has been in that period, he's always struggled against smaller, shiftier, quicker guys. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in that zone, you know, if guys had a lot of speed that could challenge him vertically, um, they could quickly, you know, like hit the brakes and, you know, like run a hitch and, and come back. And he would give a guy like that, you know, five yards or eight yards or nine yards all day yeah. because he knew that he would struggle to, to, to take away anything deep or to take away any kind of double moves or, you know, anything like that. So I think Sertain is a guy like that. I think he's that, that mold. Um, it's just that we won't be able to sneak and get him in the fifth round. Like the Seattle Seahawks got Richard Sherman, <laughs> you know, you yeah, have to really swing, 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 you know, for the fences and get him early, but we do need a guy like that. And, and that shouldn't, um, be beyond anybody's um, you know, rationale to, to think that, you know, it's, it's, at some point the Panthers are going to have to pony up um, either in the draft or maybe in next year's free agency cycle. Or, you know, there's, you know, Richard Sherman's out there this year, you know, you want to get an older version of him. Yeah, you know, I, 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 I think it's, 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 it's more about finding players who can be with you for the, for the, for the long term rather than just yeah. like grabbing guys who who fit for like the next year for the next year or so yeah so i mean and, and i'm and, and that's what i'm thinking too so for the number eight pick if they announce patrick certain's name i'm going to be really excited you know for the panthers and it wouldn't be a, a quarterback like most people want but i would be excited to hear his name called on draft yeah right. no I, I think he's definitely um, one of the handful of guys who should who should be part of that conversation yeah and so you know so the top guys again pat certain J.C. Horn, Tyson Campbell. Um, as Vincent said, Tyson Campbell is more of a of a second cornerback than the first two names mentioned. Um, cool things about Patrick Sertain and J.C. Horn is that they come from NFL pedigree, and um, and so you know they grew up around the game. Um, they're conditioned for it. They, their bodies are prototypical for it. You know they both. All think, three of these guys, really, they tested really well, you know, at their pro days. And um, and so they have met the hype in terms of their ability metric-wise, you know, to to be in the positions that they are. Go ahead, Vince. Yeah, I, I think for, like, DBs in particular, I think a big thing with, like, the, like, not necessarily, like, son of former player, but, like, son of, you know, coaches and that kind of stuff is that the mental side of the game is really important. Like, you saw it for with Antoine Winfield um, when he was in Minnesota, who was an excellent safety Oh, yeah. um, he just, he, you know, his reading of the game was really good. And it's not that every coach or every player's son is going to have that, but I think that having having a parent who who can kind of like not just like help you with like the physical side of it, and, and you, know, you probably have inherit, inherit some pretty good genes you know, or phys, uh, athletically, but but the kind of like the actual um, being taught like the actual mental side of the game as a DB is is really important. Like if you if you look at the Patriots, they've really prioritized just getting smart DBs, and I think that that. That it allows you to do a lot more stuff in coverage if you've got a lot, you know, if, if you've got smart DBs across the board, you can do some really cool stuff. And I agree with that. And, and for a point of reference on our own team, but on the other side of the ball is Christian McCaffrey. NFL pedigree, dad who played in the league. Um, Ed McCaffrey was a was a really good receiver um, in his career. And you look at the thing that Christian does better than anybody in his position is what? It's run routes. 
<laughs> he run routes, catch the ball. He came from a guy who could run routes really well, was an excellent catcher of the football, and he produced an NFL talent who does all of that really well, but just plays the running back position. And so, and it's not just because he has all the physical traits, it's because he has the mental preparedness to be ready for the NFL. And so I think, you know, it doesn't always pan out that way. You know, sometimes guys, you know, have sons who come to the NFL and they don't pan out to be anything, uh, anything special. I mean, look at Jared Payton, you know, who was just average at best as a running back. But then, you know, you have these other guys who, who show they have the physical traits. And if they have that mental preparedness from, you know, their lineage, you know, to come into the NFL and be ready, then you can truly have something special like we have on offense with Christian. So, um, again, really good cornerbacks at the top of the draft. Uh, Patrick Sertain is probably the best fit for us, but I wouldn't be mad at either him or J.C. Horn um, if we were looking to get a number one type corner at the top of the draft. But like what Vincent said, if it's J.C. Horn over Patrick Sertain, that means that we're probably going through something different schematically in terms of how we run defense and going to a more man concept. Um, but either way, Give me Patrick Sertain, give me J.C. Horn. I'll probably jump out of my uh, out of my seat or off my couch onto our coffee table if we get one of those guys on night one. But I'm a defensive guy, so you shouldn't be surprised by that. So, um, so those are the top guys, and there are also some other guys who have been getting a lot of hype um, on social media through draft scouts or, or whatever. Uh, Vincent, who are those? Who are those overhyped guys for you this week? So I think, so I've got three guys, all three of whom are in like my top 10 or 11 corners. So like, they're all like quite good guys. They all should be players to be taken, certainly day two. Um, but all of them are getting some day one love. And I think that's a little bit high. I mean, so so Caleb Farley is the top one for me. Um, and Dimmer wrong, like he's, should definitely be like a, a, a top 50 pick, probably maybe a top 60 pick. But I, you know, I, I don't think he's certainly worth hold top on, 10. Hold on for a minute, man. Hold on for a minute, man. I haven't seen Caleb Farley, but you saying that he should be top 40, top 50, you know, is far from somebody like I think, is it Daniel Jeremiah who has him as his number one corner? Yeah, I think I think that's the bit I don't get. Like I I think the NFL has this real tendency to like traits in cornerbacks. And I understand it, and there is a lot of projection in cornerbacks, and he he's he comes across as a smart guy who can learn and like he does, you know, he, he hasn't played the position that long and there is a lot of potential. I get all of that. Yeah. But it's like, how, how do you weigh that up against someone like Sertain or Horn, where it's not just potential, they kind of can do a lot of it already. Yeah. Um, and I think, I do also think his hips are a little tight. Like, I'm not sure he's quite as fluid an athlete as some people do. Um, right. Like, I, I, I think he probably has the potential to be the best corner in the draft, if only because he probably can be better in man coverage than certain and he probably will be better better in zone coverage than horn but yeah. i think at the moment he's not on either of their levels at the thing they're best at like he okay. he's he he could it's one of these, like he could probably be the most complete corner in the class if he works everything out but like the right. the gap between where he is and where he can be is significant enough that projecting him as like a top 10 pick i think is a it's a significant risk. Like I think he would be a he's a he's a real roll of the dice if you're taking him top ten. Um, yeah. I think he's a good corner. Don't get me wrong. Like he's, he's, a, he's a like I think he's my sixth cornerback. Like he's he's, a, he's really good. 
like and bear in mind this, this is a really good cornerback class so like that, that in most classes that would be like a top two or three corner um i just think that maybe a top 10 pick is a little high um and there's a little more development needed than i would be happy with given the players who could take ahead of them i mean and, and, and that's fair you know some of the virginia tech fans would probably be hot with you for saying that but um but, it, but it's fair, I think, for him and where he fits because I think you give him the opportunity to be the best out of the class if he meets his full potential, um, you know, with his abilities. So, uh, but, you know, yeah. I, I just, I just, it was interesting because I've seen a lot of hype about him, you know, since the beginning of the college season, you know, people saying that he is the number one corner in the draft. And, and, um, but, you know, we didn't see him this year. Um, we were able to see yeah. certain. He, he, um, he, he has got some medical stuff that's come out in the last week or so as well that kind of, and for me that wasn't part of my, my decision, but it is worth thinking that he might well drop a little bit because of that as well. So he might and, not be ready to play week one and that kind of stuff. And, and I think if something comes out, you know, that suggests he can't play in week one, you may see him drop to day two. Yeah, I, 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 was, I, I, I think it is worth pointing out. I, I've said this quite a lot already, I think probably, but the NFL really backs its ability to develop players. I think there is definitely a tendency in the NFL to see talent and think, yeah, we can develop that. We can coach him to do that. We can, you know, and, and don't wrong, sometimes you can, but I think the NFL probably, ultimately coaches are there because they back their own ability to do, to, to coach. And so yeah. the coaches don't like to think, oh, can we really teach that? Are we sure we can teach that? Whereas, you know, and sometimes it's not their failing, but, you know, player development's really difficult. If it was easy, right. everyone would do it really well. Um, so that there are a lot more examples of very athletic cornerbacks not putting it together than there are of, of like the guy who comes in as just a, a bundle of traits and suddenly becomes an all pro. Right. Like if, if you if you look at the top cornerbacks, they generally were already pretty good when they came out. No, I, I agree with you there. I 100% agree with you there. So you have Kayla Farley. So who else do you have in this overhyped category? Yeah, so the other two are, are Greg Newsom and Eric Stokes. Um, Greg Newsom played some really like I think the thing for him is that he is he is very much a man coverage corner. Like I'm not sure if he plays. I mean, it doesn't. I don't think he fits for the Carolina at all. Um, like he he he's a, like a man coverage only corner who I think is going to struggle athletically against some NFL receivers. So it, it's I think again. He's, he's top 10 corner for me. He's a good corner. I think he's probably a number two corner in a man heavy scheme. But I think that if, if he's your number one corner there, again, I think he, he, he has a few more athletic limitations than you'd like in a number one corner, given that he's going to play man coverage most of the time and probably not be that impactful in zone. So I, I, I yeah, I, I, I think he's a really good college corner who might, might find some athletic limitations when he gets to the NFL. And that's interesting because he is a guy who I've seen his um, stock rise, especially late in the college season. Um, I think they played Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was the game where I was able to watch him play. And, you know, he, he definitely is. Was he was he? I want to say he was playing that game. I think he was. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I know I've watched a couple of guys, you know, for them, you know, but um, but but Newsom, he's definitely. Has, has has risen a lot, you know, since late in the season. And some people have talked about him potentially going in the first round. And that may be a bit high for him. You know, he's one of those guys I've kind of kept my eye on to see if he drops to day two. And then, you know, maybe we take a chance at him. But I hadn't really thought about yeah. it in the way that you just explained it, that maybe he's still a bad fit for us, even if he's available late. 
yeah, no, I don't, I don't think he's a he's a he's a good fit for the Panthers. I mean, it, it's yeah, I mean, I, I think he's probably going to be a pretty solid NFL corner. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I I still would take him in the top, you know, three. Like he's a he's a day two prospect for me. Yeah. Um, I just don't think he's like a number one corner. Um, I, 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 yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, it's always hard with corners because it's very hard to know how they will fare against complete. It's always very difficult to project, particularly man coverage guys, because if they, they maybe face one or two NFL caliber receivers in their college career, yeah. um, and it's like, it's very hard to then go like how you know, particularly because like zone coverage players like you can it doesn't really matter that much who you're playing against as, you know obviously quickness has to you know the game gets faster as you get to the NFL and stuff but yeah but it's not that dependent on who you're playing whereas if you're playing man coverage all the time that kind of you know it's very easy for you to be really good at man coverage up until the point you play a guy who's just more athletic than you and you just can't can't stay with him anymore so it's always very hard to project those guys but I. I yeah, I think he's gonna he's gonna struggle against 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 better NFL receivers. Well, that's fair. By struggle, yeah. I don't mean like not look like he belongs at all, but just not. You know, he will give up receptions. In a, you know, he, he's he's not gonna just take away your number one receiver consistently. He'll just he'll just be a guy. You know, he's a he's a cornerback. You know, and he may start, yeah, but you know, he no, he'll, no, 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 he'll, he'll, be, he'll be. I think he'll be better than that. I think he'll be like a solid starting corner. Okay, but but I don't think you draft a solid starting corner in the first round. Oh no, no, I, I agree with you there, especially where we're drafting it. Yeah, you know, no, um, for the Panthers, he is definitely not an option eight. I would say. Yeah, yeah. So I, I agree with that. And then who's the other guy you mentioned? Uh, Eric Stokes, who again, really good traits. I think can be really good. Um, again, should go on day two. But if you're talking about again first round pick, I think he's there. There's again, there's more of a gap between where he is and where he can be than I think some people are talking about him suggest. I think the thing that got people going with him is is uh his 40 time right you know he 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 tested well at, at the yeah. Georgia Pro Day he's he's very fast he's got pretty good ball skills um he does a lot of things well he also does some things not super well um and I think ignoring those is potentially a bad idea like I I, I think he he can again he's another guy who can be quite there's, there's quite a lot of guys like him I mean, Sean Wade was a guy who talked was sort of as a first round pick, like early in the season has now dropped to more of like a day two kind of thing. But I think yeah. for me, they're kind of in a similar sort of tier um, of like the can be quite good, but there's a little bit more work for them to do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, Stokes has like got some really good traits, but isn't necessarily that good of a player right now. Well, um, it's, it's funny because I'm going to tell you how much Sean Wade has dropped off. In preparation of talking about cornerbacks today. And I've been knowing about it, you know, for over a week now. I have forgot about Sean Wade. Yeah. And going into the season, Sean Wade was like a lot of people's number one cornerback prospect. Yeah. He's and, my and, number and eight cornerback prospect. He's your number eight. And so, you know, the fact that we've talked about six guys now and haven't talked about him yet, you know, is like, wow, you know. And, you know, I remember, you know, everybody thinking he was going to be the next Ohio State, you know, number one corner, you know, following Denzel Ward and and um, and and Okuda, you know, coming behind those guys. And and, 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 and and right now, some people have him playing like a nickel corner position in the NFL at best. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think he can play outside corner. I, again, I, I think like Stokes, there's, there's enough to I mean, I think. I think the thing with him is that he hasn't shown that he's got that much better the last year or so is a bit of frustrated people is that, you know, 
given, I mean, I've said it before, I think, but like if you're coming out of Ohio State playing corner and if you're not getting better, given the fact that there's lots of good corners who've come out of that school, you know, before you, if you're the, if you're the outlier in terms of progression, people start thinking it's you and not your coaching. Whereas, it, you know, if, if he'd come out of Middle Tennessee or somewhere, you know, perfectly good school can produce some good NFL players. But, the, you know, if, if he still has some room to develop technically, then it'd be like, OK, well, maybe the coach with better coaching and that kind of stuff, maybe a bit more, you know, NFL weight room and all that kind of stuff, maybe he gets better. But if you're coming out of Ohio State or, you know, LSU as a defensive back and you've still got like technique concerns, it's probably on you, at least in part. Like, you know, it's people, teams, I think, are going to have less patience with a guy who is raw coming out of a school that's produced lots of very technically adept players. Um, yeah, I, I know I we're going to go on and talk about um, players who really see the Panthers, um, but I thought, before, while I remember, the reason why we're not talking about Asante Samuel is because I don't think he really fits with the Panthers. So, like, he is, I think, looking at my board, we're probably going to talk about all of the top 10 guys at yeah. some point, apart from Asante Samuel, and it's not because he's not good. He's my number five corner. It's just I don't think he fits what the Panthers are doing at all. Like I, I think they they have a, a preference for length that he does not fulfil. Shall we say? Like I just don't. I don't think the Panthers want a five ten corner, uh, particularly given they have Dante Jackson on the other side. I, I think yeah. they want a, a six one six foot six two type corner. Maybe they maybe they don't. And if so, Asante Samuel really good. That up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I know. You know, we have a lot of people who follow ACC football in the fan base. And, and you know, Asante Samuel, you know, we talked about pedigree. You know, he's the son of another really good NFL cornerback. Um, and he probably will be really good at the NFL level. And we haven't talked about him, you know, either. And what we have to realize about Matt Rule and Phil Snow and now even Scott Fitter as a GM, you know, coming from the Seattle organization, I think Scott Federer coming in reinforces what we already thought we knew about Snow and Rule, you know, with wanting lengthy corners, yeah. um, you know, who can run. And and although Asante Samuel is a like what you have him at, at number five, I think a lot of people have him in the you know between between four and six, you know, in terms of their cornerback boards. Um, he just doesn't fit what I think our front office would want at the cornerback position. And so, um, so I'm glad that you brought his name yeah, up because he's, 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 he's I think he's also a better man coverage player right now than he's his own coverage player. So it's, it's not just like a hype thing. I think he also is probably more suited to a man scheme or at least okay. a scheme that plays a reasonable amount of man coverage. Um, so he's kind of like Greg Newsom in that way? Yeah, no, he's, he, he's, he's probably better in zone than Newsom is. I mean, he, for me, he's just, he's just a better player. Um, okay. but, but, but he's... He, if he was like 5'10", but really, really good in zone, I think they'd have some interest. But yeah. he's more of like a guy who's decent in zone and good in man coverage and is 5'10". So I just think he makes more sense for other teams. Got it. Got it. And so, you know, we didn't mention him here, you know, and um, and he wasn't overhyped. I'm glad that you kind of just left him out because he didn't fit either the top prospects category or the overhyped category. He just kind of is a guy who's really good, but maybe not the physical... Uh, doesn't have the physical traits that this staff would look for. Yeah, there's, so, uh, there's going to be those guys. Yeah, and it's going to be you know, and there's going to be a guy like you know, guys like that in every position. Honestly, you know, they they're going to have the guys that that fit you know their mold for that particular position, and they can be good guys. And we may not talk about them just because they we don't think they fit what the Panthers are looking for. <laughs> but who are the cornerbacks out there who we haven't discussed who may fit? 
what the Panthers are looking for just based on their physical traits and where we're going to draft. Yeah, so obviously we've talked about like like Certain and Horn, I think, are options in the first round. Particularly, you know, if, if they trade back a little bit, I think Horn comes into the picture there. And I think Tyson Campbell is an option in the second, maybe the third, if he falls that far. I think the other couple of guys who I think are, are worth mentioning are um, Kelvin Joseph and if they are too metaphorical. Um Joseph is a is an interesting one. Like he again, he has so much talent. He, he you know, he he has again his ceiling is as high as any cornerback in this class. It, you know, he's he's got the the ability to run with receivers of all sizes in man. He shows good instincts and ball skills in zone, really smooth athlete. Um, could do with tightening up his footwork a little bit. Um, and, and probably needs to show that he, he can sort of be a bit more consistent in zone coverage and his impact. But I think for, yeah. for him, I mean, although he's, he's my number four corner, I think the thing that's going to have him lower than that for most teams is there's some mostly off-field concerns, more just like effort and maturity issues, right. um, which obviously it's very hard for us to judge from a distance and I'm not even going to try to, but I think that will probably cause him to go lower than his talent suggests he should. Um, I think on a talent-wise, he should be in that first-round conversation. Um, but I think, yeah, it, 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 obviously those kind of, whenever there's anything like that, it depends what each star feels like. If the Panthers think he checks out and they're happy having him in the, in the, in the building, I think he would be good in the second. Certainly if um, potentially if they either like trade up from the third or if they trade back a bit in the second, I think if you get, once you get around to like pick 45, 50, that kind of thing, I think he would be a really, really good fit there. Um, you know, just his his ceiling is ex- extremely high, even though he is a bit of a risk. Um, and the other guy, this is really more of a third round option, is Metafonwu, um, who yeah. I mentioned from from Syracuse. Um, yeah. Again, he is like the prototype cover three corner, very very long, um, pretty good speed, decent ball skills. Um, I I think again he's more of like a good number two than he is like an out and out number one, but he he would be a really good fit for what the Panthers likes like um, stylistically. He's a good player, needs to tighten some things up, you know, has some room to develop. Um, probably could be a number one corner, um, it, you know, but, but he's, he's probably more of like a very good number two, um, which, which if you're talking the third round, that starts to make a lot of sense. Like if, if you're drafting a corner at pick 39, you probably want them to be a number one corner or at least compete with Dante Jackson for that kind of role down the line. Right. If you draft a guy at 73, you don't necessarily need him to become a number one corner. Like if he yeah. just becomes a very good number two, that's kind of okay there. And so I think that that's kind of really the thing with the Panthers. Like, I, you know, obviously the outside of quarterback, there are sort of two really big needs, which are offensive line and cornerback. And yeah. I think one thing to bear in mind is that because this is a really deep cornerback class and also a deep class that where there's lots of guys who suit what the Panthers look for stylistically, that there is a chance that, you know, obviously guys like Sertain will be an option in the first round, but it might be something that, that if they're picking between like a top offensive linesman and Sertain in the first, they might opt to take the offensive linesman and say that actually the gap between a Kelvin Joseph or a Tyson Campbell in the second round and Sertain in the first is much smaller than the gap between, say, a, a Rashawn Slater and an Alex Level would say. So like, yeah. like I, I think, although there are some really good cornerbacks in this draft, there's also some good cornerbacks. There's who could be there on day two. So I think there's, it's not one of those groups where I think like we talked about Greg Little earlier. I think there is a chance the Panthers draft the left tackle, but sensibly like we'll talk about it more next week when we talk about the, uh, oh, no, sorry, not next week, no, three weeks time. When we talk about the offensive line, but they, the, the, the number of guys you can reasonably expect to be NFL left tackles in this draft is much smaller than the number of guys who you think can be starting cornerbacks. So let me ask you this question. Oh. And, and this is me being greedy. 
and let's say the quarterbacks are gone and we're at eight and then we draft a guy like Patrick Sertain. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I'm happy and I'm elated. And then we come back on day two and we go offensive line, maybe like an interior offensive line or something like that. Yeah. Is there a chance, an outside chance, that if one of these guys who we talked about being a potential fit uh, for the Panthers, you know, if they're there in the third round, do you see an opportunity or do you think there's a chance where the Panthers would double up on on cornerback? And get two guys that they like, you know, who fit, you know, like if the Melifon was there. Um, I think I can, in the third round. I can only really see that if they're fairly sold that they're not going to re-sign Dante Jackson. Like yeah. if, if, if 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 the feeling inside the building is Dante Jackson's a good corner, like he, you know, he I think he is a pretty good corner, but there's the injury history and he's not like the ideal scheme fit. Right. So if they're like, we're gonna move on from him, he's a good player, we you know, like it, particularly you know, yeah. I think it's unlikely given their other needs. I, I think you probably can't afford to be like, well, we're going to upgrade over our perfect, perfectly passable starting cornerback. If the option is like draft a, um, a defensive tackle or bring in, you know, it, it's obviously you have to see what the board's like, but if you're drafting someone like Menafon, we're in the third, even though he's a better scheme fit and maybe is healthier and all that kind of stuff, he is at best making a marginal improvement over Dante Jackson. Yeah. Like, whereas if the option is starting UDFA Bob Smith at D tackle or drafting someone like a Levi on Wazarike or a, yeah. a, it, I, the, the, the improvement you make from drafting a starting D tackle in the third as opposed to like marginal gains at cornerback is kind of so it, it does depend who's there, but I, I, I think it's unlikely they draft two cornerbacks. I think given, okay. given how many needs they have, it's very hard to draft someone in the first and then go, you know what, we're going to draft another borderline starter in the third kind of thing. Well, the only reason I ask that is because of something that we mentioned about Asante Samuel earlier. Um, when I look at Dante Jackson, I think he's like 5'10", right? Yeah, 5'10", 5'11". Something like that, yeah. yeah, and so even if he has a good season this year, I wonder if they're going to want to pay him you know, what he may want, you know, in the open market uh, to keep him here. Kind of like the Curtis Samuel thing where, you know, he have a guy who's really good and he may be, may be coveted, you know, by other teams. I don't know if they're going to like him enough to want to keep him after this year. That's why I'm like, you know, if they have an opportunity to draft two guys this year, then, you know, this year would give them the opportunity to kind of come in and, you know, go through, you know, go through the fire a little bit. And, you know, going into next season, you know, they could be your two new starters for the Carolina Panthers. I mean, but I don't need that. I was just curious about whether I, or not you thought it was possible. I think it's not impossible. But I think the thing is, like, currently, I think if Dante Jackson was a free agent right now, he'd get paid. I don't think he'd get, yeah. like, superstar paid. Okay. Um, and I think the only way he gets superstar paid is if he has a really good 2021 the thing is, if he has a really good 2021, then he probably is a good enough scheme fit that you keep him. Like, if, okay. if, he, if, if he plays in the defense that you're putting out there and he plays really well, yeah. then assuming you're okay with the injury stuff, then I think, like, if he's playing well enough inside your scheme, then the scheme fit thing kind of goes out of the question. Like, you know, if, if it was a question was like, we cannot put him on the field, he does not fit what we're doing at all. Which, right. which like, if, if they move to more man coverage is kind of the case with Russell Douglas, which is why I think they moved on from him. Um, because it's like we can only play one kind of defense really with him on the field. 
like like Dante yeah. can play man. He gives. I think the other thing he does give you is that if you want to play a mixture of man and zone, you have to have players who could match up with smaller, faster receivers. Yeah. And like if you've got Melifonu and Certain, if you if you come up against a smaller, speedier receiver, you don't really have anyone you can put on them. Like you know, if the Panthers play play Washington, who matches up with Dante Jack? Who, who matches up with Curtis Samuel? Yeah. Like you know, you you know, if you're going to play some man, you need options. And I think like the Panthers talked about this a lot um, when they drafted Dante, which is like the we can use DBs based on matchup. And I want yeah. you to ideally like the Patriots have so many DBs. You know, the Panthers probably aren't in that situation. But if you have if you have like one or two more solid DBs than you have starting spots, what you can then do is like, okay, when they, if, you know, if, if you're playing the, 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 the Bucks, if they go, if they stick Evans and Godwin out there, then you put two taller, you know, Dante Jackson should be covering the, the speed guy in that offense. Yeah. He should not be covering Mike Evans. But the issue yeah. is, is, is if you get rid of Dante, who covers the speed guy kind of thing, because you look at Troy Pride and Stan Thomas Oliver and the depth you have, yeah. It's more of that like six foot, six one, good ball skills, good length, not super twitchy yeah. type guys. Like right. Dante is is fundamentally different from the other options they have. And so he does give you something. So I, I, I maybe if, if, if I, I, yeah, I think it would be a bit of a luxury taking another an, another cornerback in the third if you take it in the first. But, you know, we'll see. I can live with that. I mean, you know, like I said, I get greedy and, and I, I like building with cornerbacks. When I look at this defense and, you know, you were talking about Melifongwu, he fell to Melifonwu from Syracuse. I remember when I watched him play this season, you know, um, actually I was watching for him and that's when I discovered Cisco, Andre Cisco. But when I saw him play and I saw him at the senior bowl, the guy that he reminded me a lot of was um, Brandon Browner from the Seahawks. And I think he plays some um, with the Patriots too. Um, and 6'3", 6'4", corner. Um, who was like a blanket, you know, he wasn't the fastest guy, but, you know, he was a really good tackler, was really physical, you know, out there, in, you know, in his third of the field. And I remember the years when Seattle had the Legion of Boom, when you had Richard Sherman on one side and Brandon Brown on the other. And Scott Fitterer, you know, he just makes you always think about, you know, his philosophy because he was part of that, that organization that built that defense. And so if we go and get a guy like Sertain, I wonder if he wants to compliment him with another big corner on the other side, like he had for so many years in Seattle. And there was another guy who came behind Brandon Browner, who was equally big and fast and talented. I can't think of his name right now. Not, I can see his not face. Maxwell. Yeah. Or Maxwell. Yeah. yeah, it was Maxwell. Maxwell was a big corner, if I can recall, like yeah, six yeah. one, six two, and very athletic, you know, but just physical, physically imposing, and so forth. They they went for maybe a good five, six years with having two guys like that at all times on the on the outside. And so I, I kind of project what I used to see in Seattle onto what I think Federer and Matt Rule and Snow, what they like at cornerback. And, and so I, I want to envision this defense with having two guys like that. I, I think and, what, what, I, what I would say is that what I can see is possibly being more likely is particularly if the Panthers say say they trade from say pick eight to say pick twelve or something, yeah. and and add say another third round pick. Yes. What I could see them doing is maybe going like if they draft an offensive lineman at twelve, taking a corner in the second, and then taking another corner with their second third round pick. Say so. I I think if if, if you get four picks inside the top one ten, say, then I yeah. could see you going like you know doubling up on corner at some point. I like that. So you see now that, you just. 
that 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 I think I can see being more realistic. I think the issue is if you you know the Panthers have three picks in the top eighty, and yeah. they have enough needs that you probably can't afford to start doubling up on one of them. Whereas yeah. what you can do is go like, okay, well, the corner we take at thirty nine, that's the guy who's going to start, barring. But the guy at eighty seven is a guy who. If you draft the corner with the 84th or 87th pick or something like that, they don't have to come in and be a starter. Like yeah. they can be a rotation piece. And that's where it starts to be more sensible. Like whether that's a, a Melon Fomo or, 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 or whoever. But I, I think that's probably more. Yeah, it, it's, it's just very hard to take someone in the top 10 and then take someone else at the same position like two rounds later um, and justify that given your other needs. No, I, I understand, and and like I said, my my mind, I'm trying to fill out this defense the way that I think they want to build it, and, and we don't have to get a guy in the third round. I was just wondering, you know, to myself, like, man, you know, Sertan is really good. I'd love to have him, and I'd be happy to get him. But then when I see a guy like you know Melifon Wu, who I've been who I've been excited about being available, maybe in the third round, I'm like, oh, I want him too, you know, and, yeah. and so, you know, I, you know, that's, that's where, that's where I'm at with it. Well, and, that's, that, 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 the Panthers need to do a Dolphins then and end up with about 4 million picks and you can probably, you know, that, that's the thing is like, yeah. if, if you trade, you know, the Dolphins now have got so many picks that they can, they can do those kind of things. They can yeah. get like, they, they could, they can afford to be luxurious. So I, yeah. I mean, and, and, and if you had extra picks, that. it makes I mean, those I, things much easier. I was probably a little bit too, um, too aggressive and wanting to trade away Chris McCaffrey last year to get those extra picks, but that was kind of whatever I, I was envisioning was just, you know, knowing that we were in the rebuilding mode. At least I was thinking that we were going to rebuild once we got, um, once we moved on from from Cam. Um, I was like, you know, well, it's time to rebuild in four now, and you know, let's get as many picks as we can to rebuild. And I was thinking of being in that Dolphins-like situation where you have all these luxuries to draft, you know, deep into you know day two and stuff. But um, but either but way, I think I know. think it is it is worth pointing out, and I'll say this now. I thought so when we went to about the Dolphins pick. Like yeah. I know that's all. There's been this thing going around, like you know the amount of assets that the Dolphins ultimately got out of the Laramie Tunsil trade. Yeah, that has m- at least significantly been in part because the Texans have been so bad. Like like bad. like like, worse. like yeah. if, if the Texans had been a playoff team this year, that pick that's the third overall pick that they've turned into three extra picks. Yeah. You know, if that's the 25th overall pick and, and, and the Texans don't implode this year, that is a much less good deal. So there's, if you trade for few teams, future picks, there is a significant gap. And you, you, the, the Dolphins should not have assumed, and I don't think they did assume, that the, the Texans were going to be awful and they were going to end up with a third overall pick. Like, like right. you, you know, if, 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 the, if the Dolphins had got, say, the, I don't know, was it like the 23rd pick last year for Tunsil? from the Texans, yeah. and if yeah. they'd got to like the 21st pick this year, you'd be going like, is that a good deal? Franchise yeah. left tackle for like two picks in the 20s? Is yeah. that, is that, you know, that, 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 like, certainly their deal for um, uh, Fitz, uh, Fitzpatrick, the safety, Minka Fitzpatrick. Oh, for Minka Fitzpatrick, yeah. It's like, yeah. they got like, what, a 25th overall pick for Minka? Is that yeah. a good deal? Yeah. Maybe, I mean, like, maybe it helps because them in terms of timeline, but like, the, the Dolphins have been genuinely quite lucky that, that the Texans were this terrible this year. Like, if, if the Texans had been, like, an 8-18, eight and if they hadn't completely imploded, the Dolphins probably are not looking at the, the Tunsil trade and going, like, yeah, we absolutely won this. Like, whereas now, they've absolutely won this trade. And the craziest part is, theoretically, they shouldn't have gotten that much worse. You know, they, they had Deshaun Watson, you know, they had 
you know, J.J. Watt, they had, you know, before they traded away DeAndre Hopkins, like they had a team that had just challenged Kansas City in the playoffs last year. You know, so they theoretically should have at least been that good. Uh, they didn't lose a lot, you know, between it didn't, last it, year. It didn't, they didn't really have any draft picks to get better, though, was the only thing. That, see, that's yeah. the part. And, yeah. and, that's, and that's the part that for anybody listening and wonder why I tweet the way I tweet and say the things that I say is because once you trade away all of those assets to go and get a guy, you know, to make your team that much better, if it doesn't pan out for whatever reason, injury or, you know, whatever, something just goes foul. And now you're stuck in a situation where you can't get better year after year after year and you end up looking like the Texans. Yeah. And and that scares the the S out of me. And so, uh, and so the, yeah, the, you know, the Texans, so, even if Deshaun Watson comes back, the Texans are not going to be good this year in all likelihood. At like, all. They have they have no picks to get better. And, they, and yeah. the thing is, they don't, it's not like they have more picks in the they, they, The Texans are in a really, really bad place because they traded yeah. away loads of future picks. And that's the and that's the other part about Deshaun Watson. I'm sure as a player, as a as a contender. I know that when they gave him that deal, that's not how he envisioned it. But probably not long after being in that deal and seeing where this franchise was going and all the other things they have going on down there. Um, and that's not even to include you know, what he has going on personally, just focusing on the organization. I'm sure he could look at that team and see that he didn't have a chance of winning you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And that's just on the football field, not not organizationally, not all the other mess going on. That's just looking at the roster, looking at their draft picks in the future. And so, again, the 49ers were in a position where they had the luxury of being able to trade up and get better at the quarterback position. And, and it's great, you know. And, and there are a lot of teams that – I won't say a lot of teams. There are a few teams that are like that, you know, where they can do that. I mean, that's how the Rams were when they went and got Stafford. We aren't like them, and I know our fans want to believe that we are, but you know we just aren't. No, we're, no, we're, we're, we're nowhere near that close. Nowhere near that, and so I, I know that you. I know that we're desperate, you know, for a great elite franchise um, cornerstone corner, a quarterback, but we have to be responsible with how we go out and do that. So you know, but you know, getting back to this discussion, I think we covered all the the prospects. Yeah. There is one, you know, from South Carolina, and just because I'm a I'm from South Carolina. I watch a lot of South Carolina and Clemson football. You know, Israel um, Mukwamu, you know, he's from Charlotte, Charlotte native, I believe. I think he played football in South Carolina. Um, he's another long corner prospect yeah. um, who's out there. What, I mean, just real quick before we end, like, what do you think about him as a as a corner prospect and, and a, as a fit for our defense potentially? As a fit, I think he's good. I think as a yeah. player, I think he has quite a lot of room that he needs to get better at like he's got really good ball skills really really good ball skills um good length reasonably fast but he his footwork's really quite messy and i think also his hips are really quite tight like i'm not sure how how good he'll ever be um in, in man coverage and i think while he's his ball skills are really good in zone and his instincts are pretty good i'm he's not that fluid transitioning out of his back pedal either in in zone like i think he's I think the Panthers are a really weird bit at corner where because they drafted two corners last year, and I'm, I'm not sure that both of those definitely make the roster, but they've got two corners they drafted and Miles Hartsfield who took over as the starting nickel. They don't yeah. actually really have that much need for like developmental young depth. It's more yeah. like we need a starter now. Yeah. Um, and so like, yes, I, I could sort of see them taking someone like Mukawamu, particularly if he's there in like the fourth or fifth round. 
but it's then the question of like at some point you need a starter you can't just have only developmental guys um and it's i if you've got guys like troy pride and stan thomas oliver and you're not i'm not sure mcquam you look at him and think like he's you know it, it, unless after this first year they're like troy pride's not it like you know if, if they're sure like troy pride is not is not the guy we drafted we hoped he was going to be we know he's never going to be a starter we need you know you you can't get caught up in like the sunk cost of having drafted a guy a year ago. But the only way someone like Mukawami makes sense is if you're definitely moving on from one of Thomas Oliver or, or, or pride, because if they're both making the roster, one of them has to start if you draft Mukawami. No, and, and I agree with that. And, you know, and so for me, I think between the rounds of four and seven each year, I think the following year, the year after, like those guys become expendable. Sometimes they become expendable in the same draft year. Um, yeah, and, I, I would, I would suggest you're doing something. Your process is not great. It, maybe no. like, maybe like seventh round guys, maybe maybe sixth round guys. But if you're drafting yeah. someone in the fourth round and you cut them before training camp, your your process is not great. No, I don't, I don't want to lose. And in between the two guys, I think, I think Troy Pride has the most potential to stand on the roster. And I'm a homer. You know, he's he's from my area. He went to Notre Dame and. And I don't think he played super well last year, but I see more potential in him maybe being like a future nickel. Um, he even played well on the outside, you know, just given his inexperience. You know, but I think if I was looking at one guy sticking between Troy Pride and and, and Stanley Thomas Robertson, I think uh, it would be Troy yeah. Pride. Oh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know why I want to say his name is right. So, so yeah, Stanley Thomas, uh, the STO. Yeah, uh, if, I, think, if, I, think, I, could, I think I think Pride probably has a better chance yeah, I I personally don't think the gap between them is as significant as the draft capital that they spent on them. Yeah. Um, like just, but I wasn't a huge fan of the Troy Pride pick. Um, I don't think he's a bad player. I just think he's got again needs quite a lot of development. And yeah. It, it's yeah, it, the Panthers went very heavy on the developmental side in the draft last year. Like like yeah. they didn't draft many like sure thing prospects. Like Derek Brown probably is not going to be bad, but like he's still got a lot of room to develop. Um, yeah. And I think they will be lucky. There will probably be a few of those guys who just bust completely. Um, yeah. And and this is kind of the year, if you're going to bust completely, this is probably the year where it becomes clear which guys are just not going to make it. No, I agree. I agree. I mean, so yeah, man, you know, for me, I look at Mukwamu is, you know, it's like Melifonwu in, in terms of just the big corner, big size. Same thing that I argued about, you know, with establishing our own like Legion of Boom. Um, you know, if we can't get a guy like Melifon, well, maybe we can come back on day three. And if a guy like um, Mukwamu from South Carolina is, is still there, you know, take a flyer on him, see if he can beat out STO, you know, in, in training camp. And, you know, if he does, then you move on from, you know, from STO and you stay with um, yeah. STO. You know, but I, I think I, he was I, better than I've seen. And I, I didn't see STO in college, but from the film and stuff I did see of him, you know, after it, we drafted him. It is worth it. I've seen Israel play, and, and I think he's a better corner, natural, you know, natural corner than. Israel. Yeah, it, it is. It is worth noting that Stan Thomas Oliver only played like a year and a half at corner. He was oh, a receiver no. until like a year and a half before the draft. Yeah, so, so maybe maybe he continues to get better. I don't yeah, know. I, 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 I wouldn't bet on it, but like the guy who <laughs> who who converted from receiver to corner midway through his college career, at, um, like a, a smaller school, like he was at FIU, wasn't he? Yeah. So that's, yeah. So the guy who played like a year and a half at corner at FIU versus the guy who was like a a starter for an SEC school. I think the it's certainly if I'm betting on them making rapid improvements uh, in the pros. I think San Thomas Oliver, you, there's more reason to, to trust that he will get significantly better. 
So, yeah. like, again, I don't think McGuire is necessarily worse or better than Santa Thomas Oliver. I'm not like, I, I, I think they're both probably long shots to make it. Um, yeah. But, but it's the, it depends what you're investing. If you're investing a seventh round pick, fine, like, absolutely, just take a chance on someone. If they don't make 53, it's not the end of the world. If yeah. you're spending a fourth round pick, given the other needs and given the draft class, like, it's like, you know, you could probably spend a fourth round pick on better things than like a long shot cornerback, particularly given you've got two long shot cornerbacks already on the roster. Be my yeah, I, and I'm with you on that. We'll we'll see though. We'll see how it goes. I, yeah. I, I get biased when it gets to Carolina guys. I can't help it, you know. But um, but yeah, I want to see these guys to see, you know. But you're right, you know. There are a lot of other holes that we have to fill, and you know, I just. But I am eager to see this defense, and maybe it's not in year two of Phil Snow's defense, but I'm eager to see this defense with the guys. I think they want to have, you know, at every position. You know, I want to see them with their type of guys there and um, guys who yeah. can actually play that they can actually deploy and and see what the defense looks like with NFL level talent with their prototypical guys. And that's the way, you know, I can really gauge and see how well their system really works, you know, in, in terms of their defense. But, you know, we're getting there one play at a time, but they say brick by brick and, you know, and, and that's what the draft is for. And, you know, but to recap what we talked about in the terms of the cornerback prospects, we talked about the top prospects, and, and those were Pat Sertain, J.C. Horn, and Tyson Campbell. You know, all three are really good prospects. Be happy to have all three, but Patrick Sertain was the best fit in terms of what we've seen the scheme be in Carolina thus far under Phil Snow and Matt Rule. And so then we had some of the prospects who may be a little overhyped, Caleb Farley, Greg Newsom, Eric Stokes. Vincent said that, you know, that all of these guys could play. They had talents, um, you know, where, you know, where they were able to showcase their abilities. Uh, for Farley, Farley was um, probably more of a mix between Sertain um, and Horn, and he's really high on a lot of people's list. And he has the ceiling to be, you know, one of the best, if not the best out of all three. You just don't know if that's going to happen. Greg Newsom being a guy who was better in man um, and may not just be a fit for the Panthers. Eric Stokes, similar, um, really talented, you know, had a lot of good measurables, um, just may not be a good fit for what we do. And then he mentioned Asante Samuel, um, you know, as, as, as being a guy who was a really good corner, his top five corner, um, but just physically, a little shorter than we think, you know, the Panthers will, would like to draft that. Sean Wade at Ohio State, um, number seven for, for Vincent, still may not be. Number eight, yeah. No, it is number eight, I'm sorry. Yeah, number no, sorry, sorry. Yeah, so, you know, but may not be what the Panthers look for. And then last, we rounded off with Kelvin Joseph, who shows a lot of talent, um, could be a really good second corner, um, definitely, you know, has the ability to, oh, can, you know, could, to could, play within the zone. Could, could could definitely be a number one corner if he just it can be yeah oh yeah, he, yeah no he could definitely be like a good number one corner he just it's just a bit of a risk it'd be a, more of a risk because of some things that may be off the field you know but definitely could be a starter and a number one corner potentially in this Panthers um, defense and if Watu Melifonwu similar you know um, you know big rangy corner has a lot of the traits that you're looking for in this defense you know so there's a there's a a really deep class of cornerbacks. And even if we can't get one of the guys at the top of the draft, like Sertain and Horn, you know, we can come back on day two 
in day three and potentially get guys who can come in and start um, very early for the Panthers. So, you know, very optimistic at this position and I'm very optimistic to be at the point, you know, in this podcast series where we're talking about guys who could potentially actually get drafted at number eight, <laughs> you know, yeah. because up to this point, up to this point, you know, we've been talking about guys, you know, who are really good players at their individual positions. You know, you can name guys like Kyle Pitts. You can name guys like um, Jamal Chase and, you know, and, 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 and Micah Parsons and all these guys who may be top 10 picks, you know, at their positions, but guys who the Panthers theoretically shouldn't be looking to draft at number eight. But now we get into the positions where it matters. You know, this is a position at cornerback where Scott Federer said, we need to get better at corner and offensive line. And so this week is the cornerback week. You know, we're going to get to offensive linemen. We're going to get to uh, defensive linemen, three techs. And then we're going to talk about the quarterback. So all of the remaining episodes are for, for positions that we may actually use the number eight pick for. Yeah. And so um, it's, it's really getting probably not probably that. not probably not three tech, but but yeah, three tech is definitely something they're going to probably spend a draft pick on. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, not, not three tech, but you know, you never know. We did it last year. We won't do that again. <laughs> no, just. But he's definitely in play for the second round pick, so. Yeah, definitely in play for the second round pick. We need that still. Um, you know, kind of off topic from the draft a little bit is I like um, Jaron Reed. You know, he's available now. I don't know how much he's going to cost. He was looking for a long-term deal from Seattle. They didn't give it to him. They allowed him to become a free agent. Um, there are ties to Scott Fitterer there. I think he's a good three-tech. You know, if he becomes, you know, if he becomes a Panther, I don't, I'm not saying that he will. I'm just saying that there are some stars that align. And, and if we get him, you know, through free agency. Yeah, that, that, that would change the need quite a lot. That, that, that would change, you know, the discussion about the um, the defensive tackle needs going into the draft. So we'll let things play out on that front. Um, it was a great discussion about cornerbacks. I'm excited about the potential to actually draft a player that we talked about for once. And so Patrick Sertain um, is – the number one guy, you know, coming away from this discussion, that's a guy who fits, who has all the elite traits, not taking away anything from J.C. Horn, who has self-touted, you know, himself as the uh, as the cornerback one and other people have made him the cornerback one, too. He can be that, but he may not be the cornerback one for the Carolina Panthers. And I think the consensus, at least between uh, Vincent and I, is that Sertain is probably the best fit for what we what we do. Uh, but I wouldn't be mad at either guy. So um, that said, it's been a great discussion with you, Vince. Um, looking forward to next week and the next position group. Um, for the folks listening out there, um, if you're listening, you probably have already found us. You know, but please rate, review, and subscribe. You know, to you know to the series. I think it's going to get better over the next few weeks because we get into those positions where we actually can potentially draft the guys that we're talking about early. Um, and you know, if you want to interact with us about the episode, you can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter. You can find Vincent at D Richardson four four four. Yep, on Twitter. And so, um, if nothing else, Vincent, I'm gonna send us off. Yep, that's all good for me. That's it. See you all. All right. So, peace and love, Panthers, Panthers world, Panthers Twitter, Panthers Nation. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah.